0: welcome to the main course i'm barbara castiglia of modern restaurant management and today we're going to talk about the customer experience and and how it's changing um, and how you know what the pandemic had to do with it and the role of technology in in all of this and and how restaurants are evolving with their use of tech. Um, and with me today is Johnny Teyes, who is a vice president, uh, international operations and training for Focus Brands International. And for those of you who may not know what Focus Brands there, you probably can't turn any corner without seeing a Focus Brands uh, property, Cinnabon. Uh, Moe's Southwest Grill, uh, you could name them off Johnny. You know, I'm <laughs> probably better than I do, but, uh, I, I gotta you know, go there's with Annie some. Annie Ann's. Annie yes. Yes. Uh, all of the, all of these great places. So welcome. Um, and, and, you know, first tell me, you know, what your role is, um, at, uh, Focus and, you know, and in what that entails, you know, what do you do on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And thank you, Barbara, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. So in my capacity, I oversee all of our operations and training needs across uh, 60 plus countries. So uh, internationally, we oversee five of our brands, uh, 60 plus countries, five brands. And my world is really about anything that touches the operations, the training execution, policies, procedures, processes. We make sure that my team is doing everything we can to provide a hundred percent what the franchisees need, providing tools, support, resources, documentation, and as well as operating format structure. So really, if it, if it helps you get a pretzel, if it helps you get a Cinnabon, if it helps you get a sandwich, my hands are on an international.
0: Right. So what happened to your role during the pandemic and, you know, what, uh, You know, I know a little bit about how you guys really had to change how you do things and how you really do support the franchisees and support people internationally when you you couldn't get there for them. Um, So how how did you do that pivot? It was uh, it was not
1: easy. (laughs) <laughs> it was, I think, what everybody at the time was trying to understand, what does the new normal look like, right? Um, nobody had any real understanding as to how long this was going to go on for, what the ramifications would be long term for the businesses. Uh, you know, especially during that peak pandemic piece, when you're talking about operations and training, it's new processes, new procedures daily at that point, um new types of sanitizers how do we care about customer perception how do we deal with third-party delivery orders all of those pieces became you know, really critical efforts for us. We had no opportunity to be in the units to actually see them through to the execution. So you had to get a little creative. Um, I was actually on the domestic side uh, of Focus Brands when the pandemic first hit, and I was brought over mid-pandemic to the international piece to work on this new opportunity called the Customer Experience Center of Excellence, uh, which is what we developed as our attempt to Get past that gap in not being able to be a part of our locations, not being connected with our units. And what we found is that this new approach has actually led, uh, brought us significant more opportunity to be a part of our franchisees business than we ever had even pre Uh, So much of what we've done has been to shift away from trying to provide international franchisees with the same level or structure of support as we would domestically when it just really doesn't work that way. So we had to get really creative and trying to adjust and find new ways to drive efficiency uh, through virtual or remote means.
0: And in what ways, what were some of the things, you know, practical examples of how you kind of flipped and worked on them with things?
1: So initially, uh, our first foray into this was the development of the, I'm going to call it the CC, the Customer Experience Center of Excellence. It's its its a mouthful, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, but what we've done here is we have shifted our traditional in-person uh, unit level compliance or operational guidance from traditional in-person physical visits to 100% completely virtual execution. So what we have now is we developed this center uh, in partnership with the Business Process Outsourcing Center out of Costa Rica, where we have a bay of 15 operating excellence coaches. These coaches are trained in our brands. They are SurfSafe certified. They are trained to identify key quality indicators on any number of brand standards so that they can assess virtually whether or not uh our standards are being adhered to where they're being surpassed there's an opportunity somewhere in there they operate 24/7 so that we're able to provide support to anywhere in, in the world uh at their local time zone and they speak seven languages across them uh, a couple of them speak three or four themselves a really uh, incredible group of people that we have in our center there but they're able to provide in their own language brand level dedicated support to those units uh you know it's interesting because while The pandemic really opened our eyes to the fact that we weren't in connection with our franchisees. The real discovery was we weren't in connection even before the pandemic, right? If you want to look at this pre-pandemic, we're talking about 2019 where we had roughly 1600 units and in that year, we made a grand total of 126 unit level visits. At that point, you're saying we're going to visit our locations every 10 years. And we're just going to hope they're doing good in those nine years in between. Uh, we're not able to provide the level of support or guidance um, or even learn from our franchisees in that way that we are now. You know, at full scale now with my 15 coaches uh, for 1900 units internationally, I can execute over 7000 visits in a year, which is a far cry from 126. And now we're able to aggregate all of that data. We're identifying best practices, tips and tricks from our franchisees that we're able to share across the globe. We've worked our tech stack in such a way that identifying opportunities is so simple across all brands, across all countries, that in a quarterly basis, we're taking all of those information that we we get we're looking at our opportunities and we're providing new training materials on a quarterly basis based off of those specific opportunities that we're identifying as being the most impactful to the business and the most widespread missed, right? Instead of trying to work with every single unit on moving the one thing that they need to do, let's move the entire system. So we're providing a better guest experience overall. Uh, it's been really incredible. For-
0: and would you say that, you know, coming out of it, that everything's a little more efficient? and things are operating at a more optimal level than previously?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm actually very, very much so convinced that this is a significantly more efficient model and effective when it comes down to general manager engagement at the end of the day. Uh, you know, if you wanna consider even domestically the traditional model, you may take a franchise business consultant an international director of operations, or a district manager, they may have a wide ranging field of, of locations to oversee 30, 40, 50, 60 units, multiple states out of the country. You know, there's, there's not a great sense of reasoning in my mind that I need to have them visit every one of those 50 locations on a quarterly basis, travel, get hotel, huge T&E expenses, and time, right? There's a lot of time baked into that. Um, and if you want to consider it, what are we looking at the latest? uh restaurant employee to average tenure 110 days, I think I saw most recently. So if I have one of my district managers visiting 50 units in a quarter, by that next quarter, those employees that they engage with, they may be gone right? And we're talking about people who have such a skill set, right? We're not hiring DMs and and FBCs that are fresh off the street. These are industry veterans. They know the restaurant industry. They're much more uh, applicable when we're talking about working at high-level conversations with franchisees. Let's look at financial acumen. Let's look at P&L management. Let's look at competitive intrusion. How are you staffing and training your teams? All of these things that are going to help a franchisee make more money at the end of the day. That's where I want those conversations to take place. It's it's of less value to me to have an FBC travel across states to go spend four hours in a store to tell them that there's a handprint on the window and a, and a napkin on the floor. We can take care of that in other ways that provide more engagement with a general manager, and allow the FBC or DM to be more proactive as opposed to reactive in their everyday effort.
0: And if you're you're engaging with the GMs at that level, does it also kind of trickle down so that you would get a better engagement and have staff that maybe will be there and last longer than 110 days?
1: So that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, You know, we are very, very proud. We've been running this type of model for about two years. And we consistently run a ninety-eight point seven percent or higher OSAT from our uh, post-review surveys that we conduct with every general manager and franchisee. The beauty of our operation here is multiple fold. I was gonna say it's twofold, it's trifold, it's multiple fold. One, our general managers invite us in. So we are not telling them it's gonna happen on this day at this time. We send out an opportunity for them to select a time from our calendar of our coaches to say, this is the optimal day and time during my quarter that I can take this visit, which is an important part for us because we want them to feel like they are leading the visit, right? If you wanna think about a traditional aspect where a district manager may go into a unit, three, four hours with an iPad, with a checklist. They're looking through pieces. From a manager's perspective, that's something that's happening to not necessarily with you as an engaged full party uh, to the the visit. You have a lot of stress going on from those situations. You have your team members, your customers you're trying to care for. You may not always get the same aspect out of that that you're hoping for because by the end of the day, the, the manager would say, well, what'd you find? And they're running through a list of it. Whereas in my execution, a general manager is physically guiding me through the location with a coach who is constantly calibrating every item that they see. The manager themselves is engaging with the team members. So now we're engaging in three-way conversation where the manager has a sense of onus for their own responsibility to what they're showing. It's not, oh, I saw your dirty refrigerator, it's let me open up my dirty refrigerator to show you this, we're calibrating. And then the manager has the effort with their own employees to lead the accountability and change there. And what we've seen over time is that they're taking a lot more engagement with it from it for those reasons. So the team members, their skill sets are retaining longer. We're seeing all of our standards coalesce into higher scores and we are able to open up our own reviews to multiple parties. So since these are de- taking place digitally over Zoom, what we find quite often is that when one manager has their review, The DMs also on the review or their partnered managers are on the review and they're all learning. So by the time we get to the next location in that group, they've already taken care of probably what the majority of the opportunities we noticed in the first place were. So we are finding that there's really a greater greater sense of engagement. It's helping to drive a greater sense of accountability and it's constant calibration through the entire process. It's just changing the conversation from the way I think we've always done it in the restaurant industry.
0: Are you also seeing that? Having this kind of foundation in place is also uh, an ability to now grow on a on a different level um, because you kind of have this this kind of platform and and you got like, we can do it. I know using the phrase cracking the international code. Um, so do you, do you for, either are seeing that or foresee that that is something that's going to happen?
1: Yeah, there's this tremendous amount of growth around this right now. So. Couple of things that I would look at. One is, is there is significant sales growth out of this process that we are identifying. So from an international perspective, we certainly did have a lot of hurdles. To get through to provide our franchisees with this level of support there's language there's time and most importantly there's cost of travel internationally um, that's almost insurmountable for a lot of international businesses and i've talked with a lot of them out there they're not out there paying the same level of attention as they would be to their own domestic partners that are right in their background so what we found initially over the past year and a half two years is that as we've engaged our units and we have control groups to to prove this out and significant report to to prove this out, the more OERs or operational excellence reviews that are being conducted in the markets, the higher sales comp growth is showing year over year. And you can kind of tie this back down to, one, a sense of engagement from the team. We know that when teams are engaged, that translates down to the customers and improved operating uh, standards. We know that better operations equal better sales. So what we're finding now is, based off of all of our analysis, The locations that have taken place with the OER program, and as we went through our staggered launch through our control groups, they're showing anywhere between 85 to 12.5% increase in year-over-year sales growth, which is tremendous, right? And that's against those locations, same country, same market, same franchise operators. If they are not on the program or they they joined it later and they're part of the control group, they're not seeing the same sales growth. So we've been able to tie that directly to this program which has been phenomenal. I mean, you can't go to a franchisee and say, how would you like 10% comp sales growth? And they're going to turn their nose up at you. Um, but where we're going next with it, with the program itself, we found there's limitless legs to this. Uh, the next real big piece, aside from simply showing operational execution against sales growth, is further Detailed data analysis. And that's what we're really digging into now. Because what we're trying to do is, you know, if I move from 126 visits to 7,000 visits and the way that our program is built out, there's so much minute detailed information we can pull from it. So now we're trying to map all of that out to take sales performance data, to take financials, P and L level data, customer service information, training execution and map. Against our operational execution so that I can show you by the end of the day, if you do these activities within your operation, here's what happens to your sales. There's correlations in there. Now you and I may know, right? It's going to be if you sell quality food, sales should go up. And if you provide good service in a clean restaurant, sales will go up. I just want to quantify that. And I want to show a franchisee that because that, that speaks to a franchisee at the end of the day. So that's some of the initial growth that we're looking at, but we're also identifying new ways to leverage this type of execution where it's all centrally housed, centrally located. We're looking at things like new store opening surveys so that when a location is ready to open up in Guam, we don't have to send somebody out there to make sure that it's open and ready to go or to help identify when we can send trainers out. We're conducting virtual reviews of those openings to identify how the opening is gone. Are you ready for us to release trainers, et cetera? Uh, there's a number of areas that are uh, applicable from a marketing perspective. We run out with LTOs and we can identify very easily the unit level adherence uh, in a way that we never could before, just be a sheer number of manpower and the cost behind that. Uh, I can provide great reporting back to my marketing teams. If you've ever wanted to know how many of your units have digital menu boards, push of a button. I can tell you just like that. Do you want pictures of everyone too? Push of a button. I can tell you just like
0: that. You were on a panel and you were talking about this very subject and you use the term smart data and, um, you know, how there's so much data, you know, it's, and how do you know, what are the data points that are the most important that, um, you know, particularly as it relates to the operations and, you know, increasing efficiency?
1: Yeah. When I think about data, smart data, it really comes down to how do you use it, Right. Data for data's sake doesn't do anybody any favors, right? We can all just look at some numbers and try and point out the correlations, but without really digging into it and having a a consistent amount of data coming in to further bolster that information or whatever correlations you take out of it, it really doesn't do that much for you. So that's what we're trying to be very specific about how we identify data pieces and what's really valuable to us. Right now, we're in a lot of that discovery zone, right? We're trying to say, which are the activities in the operation that may not make it as much of an impact to the guest facing experience? And if that's not a huge impact to them, other ways we can automate around that or take some of the difficulty out of the equation and just make it more efficient for you. So it really comes down to being very diligent about identifying sales correlations for one, because we know that's what's important to our franchisees, important to us as well, right? We want to make sure that everybody's successful in this venture. Um, and two, once we have that data, it never sits in, in simply an aha, here you go. It's always tied back to a next level execution, right? So that's where I've been so fortunate in the way that we've built out the software is I can very quickly and easily pull, out, you know, any sort of insights turn that into actionable operating excellence data, we provide new training materials on a quarterly basis, we provide new guidance on a quarterly basis, and then we tie those numbers up at the end of end to each quarter to identify the opportunities we found, the sales impact they had, the efforts we made to correct that, and then where it tied up at the end of the day. So the further we go, we can pretty much easier tell our franchisees what their highest impact items are in the operation. So it's just really being very specific about the data usage. What are you going to do with it? And then speaking to that uh, through real world activity.
0: So you mentioned the guest a couple of times, um, but how has the pandemic affected or changed that guest experience and what do guests want now?
1: You know, I think that there's a lot of uh, in the air still for that, right? I think we're still getting out of that particularly from an international world. A lot of countries aren't on the same scale as we are here in the U.S. with their pandemic rebound or recovery. Uh, There are some markets certainly that are still struggling with some of that and and others where it wasn't as big of a a bear for them to get through. What we found now is that guests are still holding on to a number of those pandemic outlets that they've utilized, right? So third-party delivery is still huge, right? That has not gone away. Delivery efforts in general have not gone away. to go for us has, has not gone away. If anything, we are seeing our customers internationally glom on to those aspects even more than before. I think what's really interesting is that internationally, there's a great sense of uh, um, willingness and openness to new right so new technology new automation new execution uh, i was just in korea recently and you can't go to any location uh for any sort of quick service as casual location that doesn't have a kiosk ordering uh at the front of the of the location um it makes it very easy for guests to come in dine get out get get it done but from a team member perspective for the more that we can simplify that role the more they're able to focus in on what the guest experience is. So I think that's where we're going is that everybody's trying to identify ways to rely less on human execution, but more so to elevate that experience because guests are expecting fast, efficient, and effective service, but they really still want to have a great experience at the end of the day. So the more that we can help team members simplify the day-to-day, simplify their lives, I think that's what guests are really looking for because it translates to a better customer experience. Right, if I as an employee have to do twenty-seven things to serve you, it's going to be a lot more hectic as opposed to if I have five things that's going to take me uh, to serve you.
0: Right, you're more likely to be hospitable while doing it because you're you're not focusing. I might have a little more more conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that
0: you know that leads me into the aspect of personalization, particularly in the QSR environment, Um, and you know, I, I had referenced a, a recent story about McDonald's drive-thru experience where someone noted that they on the, on the drive-thru screen. It said welcome and it had their name and they were like a little taken aback. Um, but they were using the app and they had all that information. Um, so, you know, how, How do you how do you kind of find that happy medium where it's personalized enough that it doesn't kind of scare people? Or is it just something that they're going to get used to, you know, give them another another year because, you know, they're using all of these things. They'll just, you know, say, no, it's not a big deal.
1: Yeah, there's certainly an acceptance period from your consumer. Right. It's it's an interesting thing. But then there's also just consumer education over time and, and they're gonna to have to get comfortable with that in my mind that's the end answer right there's there's no level of technology I think that we're gonna employ that doesn't necessarily always rub everyone the exact right way. But if you want to talk about it, right we're talking about personalization to your point we have the information it's out there right? If you have a cell phone, you've given up every bit of your identity to the world, right your facial recognition, your passwords, your preferences, We are commodities at the end of the day, as you know, when it comes down to technology, consumers are commodities. You're a part of social media. You are a commodity. There's there's a sense it's just going to happen, I think. Um, And there's always going to be the companies out there. They're going to take uh, the first forays into it. And to your point, this is a McDonald's situation. There may be some pushback, but that doesn't mean that it's um, that it stops forward progression in these areas. What we're going to get down to ultimately is that it's not necessarily just a marketing tactic or a way to to make you feel comfortable about it, but it also is a sense of convenience and ease, right? If I, as a customer, I pull up and they say, hey, Johnny, did you want to get your Big Mac and fries with an extra barbecue? Easy, relatable, simple for me. We are getting to that point, but it is a sense of education for consumers, I think, to say, if you think this is creepy, it's simply because you're not noticing the fact that they, everybody already has your information and your data. Um, I think people are just going to get used to it. And we're going to see more and more of that, right? We're, we're on the cusp of this huge AI breakthrough. We're on uh, the advent of tons of new technologies that are importing and aggregating customer data to provide a better experience for them. It's the edge of technology. And, and if we're not you know, moving with it, then we're just going to sit on the bylines and and deal with some of the the same issues that the restaurant industry is always faced with, right? It's high turnover, it's labor heavy. Uh, If we can provide a better experience and, and make some of those things more efficient,
0: Right. You know, if the pandemic taught us anything is that the restaurant industry really leaned on technology uh, to survive and, uh, you know, things like uh, pay at table or or things that that were, oh, it would be nice to have it. But, you know, do I really need this? All of a sudden, all of these things became very important. And, you know, it kind of advanced technology. Four restaurants, you know, fast forwarded a little bit. So where do you see we are now in terms of technology and what you expect restaurants are going to adapt over the next few years? You know, and kind of what do you what are you looking at that makes sense, um, you know, to help you do your job better and to help all your franchisees?
1: Yeah, there, there's certainly a lot of things out there that I've been very interested in, Um the more and more that we're gonna be getting to in the restaurant industry, I think is automation of typically human driven tasks and a lot of that compliance driven task, right? So certainly in my own aspect from the customer experience center of excellence, we're moving towards taking the compliance out of a face-to-face interaction and making it as, as virtual as possible. So I look at a number of aspects from that, not only the execution from a virtual perspective, uh, perspective, but the use of cameras, right? There's a lot of really interesting camera technology that's out there. It's leveraging AI to identify when your pans are low on a line or how accuracy is being met for orders, uh, dine-in speed of service time for your guests that are walking up to the counter. Cameras with AI can leverage all that information very easily now. And it's really interesting to me to identify how we can get a full global view of the location without step ever stepping foot in. Right, you tie that information up to your OSAT, to your sales figures, you're gonna get a really good sense of how that business is operating. Some of the other things that I'm looking at right now, additionally, are different ways you can utilize like a drive-through menu panel, right? So there's a lot of those things that are gonna use AI chatbots or text bots that are helping you to have smart order interactions. I've even seen drive-through menus that are providing you with a video feed of somebody remote who's taking your order, right? Interesting ways that you can leverage some of those, those, uh, those new technologies that are out there. And then from a training perspective, I've been really interested in looking at some of these new platforms that lean more so into text messages and, and direct to employee devices. I think it's about meeting employees where they are. I think it's about accepting that, you know, society changes and generations change and sitting somebody down in the back office in front of a computer for three hours. Just ain't going to fit the bill anymore. Uh, but you may get larger engagement, larger skill retention by speaking to people in the way that they're already used to being spoken to. Um, so a number of those aspects. Then I have, you know, some big dreams about VR training and virtual execution and uh, smart glasses in the units. So uh, I think there's a lot of things that are out there. Yeah,
0: I did some VR training. Uh, with KFC a few years ago. Oh, really? And it was okay. really cool about making the chicken with Colonel Sanders. Um And it, it was a really, you know, it, it was, a, you know, probably definitely ahead of its time, but it was really interesting about using the virtual aspect to do the training. It really was fascinating because you did feel like you were actually doing this. And so much of particular excuse me, of training, you know, in, in the QSR environment is actually doing it, you know, gone are the days where somebody hands you that manual that you say you read and you signed, right. because it, you know, and they'll, you'll look at it when you have an, an issue, you know, you're, as you said, you really have to meet these workers where they are. Um, and another thing about meeting people where they are, we talk a lot about virtual, um, how are you about, you know, virtual worlds like, uh, Meta or any of these places, um, how, how do you think about brands engaging there?
1: Yeah, it's it's part of being just part of the landscape, right? You have to be top of mind for your consumers. So even if a uh, an engagement in a virtual world like a Meta or something like that doesn't necessarily translate into a sale, right, in that platform, if there is a sense of engagement and a way that you can speak to your consumers and be top of mind, that exists beyond the virtual world, right? But we have to be aware that's where people are today, right? We're all sitting, uh, you know, I'm taking this interview from my personal home and we're sitting on on Zoom right now or on a, on a video feed right now to, to, to execute this. People are used to operating in new ways now. They're used to changing quickly. We have advanced in technology so fast in the past 10, 20 years that we have to keep up with them in order to continue to move forward. Uh, I see a lot of, of great engagement from brands through to their customers through social media activities. This is the next foray, right? Is, is now how do we meet them in a new environment and in, in a new way? Uh, if it's, if there's a way to talk to your consumers, you got to be there for it. Otherwise, you're, you're leaving money on the table and, and consumers go into your competitor. Right. So it's not just a
0: marketing gimmick or it's something you have to, you really have to be there.
1: It's, it's, you know, so many people today as well are are really thinking about the companies as they represent their values, their morals part of their lifestyle. Uh, you know, you look at a lot of clothing brands, for example, today, and they're dealing with things about recycling and being very conscious about the materials that they use. That speaks to people, that resonates. You'll find the same thing in the food industry, right? How do we, you know, ethically sourcing and how do we care for our products and how do we care for our customers? How do we represent ourselves in the communities? All of those things, They those are great vehicles to speak with when you're talking about these areas of people's lives that may or may not be a direct sale, right? And virtual uh, landscapes are certainly one of those that we could be engaging in just to be a part of the conversation and part of the community with our prospective clients.
0: So what do you see as key challenges in the QSR environment right now?
1: Some of the main challenges that we're seeing today uh, are certainly uh, around labor and staffing, right? We know that. Um, I'd say supply chain, but you probably hear that enough, (laughs) right? Labor's always up there too. Um, So you have to be a little bit uh, cognizant of who you are as an employer, who you are as a brand, and what being a part of that team means for your customers uh, or for your employees and and your prospective customers. Uh, We're going to get into a world here where especially as Gen Z starts to continue uh, to be, become a larger part of the workforce, where it becomes more about lifestyle, <clears throat> where it becomes more about who the employees are as individuals. And does that resonate with the company's values and morals as it continues on? The people that are going to lean into that more so are going to be the, the, you know, the, the success stories out of it. We see it today with some of the main competitors out there and the, and the leaders in the industry. they are companies that care about the employees that provide great resources to them and speak to them in a way that says, we understand that you're here for to make a living, let's make a living together and make a great life. Uh, so certainly labor staffing, but that's where a lot of this automation and technology comes into it, is to help you know, bridge some of those gaps. Uh, and I think provide employees with a, a, a more easy, executable, simple process again, so they can take care of their customers. <clears throat> Supply is certainly going to be a staff, a, a continued issue. We know that, right? So uh, that is what it is. But I think the last one that would be really present in my mind is is the adoption of new technology. Uh, everybody's looking for something to make their lives easier. we looking for the for the, the next efficiency bullet in the gun. Uh, the ones that don't make it are going to be slower to adoption, especially as you consider things like third-party delivery, off-site delivery, um, anything like that is going to be – Really helpful through technology. Depends on who gets there first.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. This was great.